0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, June the 5th, 2023. It is currently 10.55 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I know it's almost 11 p.m. at night, and I know most uh, broadcasters. Are sound asleep. Okay. I know, I know most churches, they're not live broadcasting right now, or at least here in the United States of America, where, you know, it's late, but other countries and different time zones. You get the point. Not a lot of people are broadcasting at 11 p.m. Uh, in the evening. Uh, I guess maybe on, on some Christian, well, a lot of the Christian radio programs that air late at night, they're pre recorded. But whatever the case may be, here we are late at night and we're going to have. A very important conversation. A very important conversation. I, I, I could do a little bit of joking around, but it's not really a joking matter. It's really a very serious thing. And it's, I don't know how you feel about it. I don't know if it frustrates you. I don't know if it discourages you. I don't know. I don't know if it it, it almost leads to a sin, a feeling of depression but I all of those feelings I when I start thinking about this it it makes me it makes me very frustrated it definitely discourages me it definitely makes me have feelings of depression but it's a sad reality in the world of Christianity and so we're going to talk about it it deals a lot with the nature of salvation and hopefully not only will this be important practically but maybe challenge you a little bit theologically I am very aware that a large number of people who hear this are going to have strong (laughs) feelings against what I'm saying. There's not going to be a lot of feelings of support. There's going to be lots of feelings of disagreement, but I want to at least try to challenge you to think. So then for this late night, let's do a little bit of theology, a little bit of practical theology, a little bit of soteriology. And let's uh, really put our thinking caps on and hopefully this will be beneficial. And for those who do not listen live, you listen tomorrow or whenever, hopefully you'll find this to be beneficial as well. Let's begin by going to my journal. All right, let's go to my journal. And here, almost in the middle of my journal, I wrote down two very simple questions. The first one You're going to think is absurd, but it's very important to this discussion. Are you ready? Here's question number one. How long are you saved? How long are you saved? When you become saved, are you saved forever? Or are you only saved for a short period of time? Are you saved forever? For eternity are only, are you only saved until, well, the Christian majority look at you and say, you are not one of us. How long are you saved? Now, typically, now we know that there are some Christians out there who claim that you can lose your salvation. Obviously, there's entire denominations who believe you can lose your salvation, but for, uh, for, and I'm just going to be, I don't want to be mean, but I believe anyone who holds to a very biblical understanding of salvation by uh, salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone believes that when you become saved you are saved for eternity your sins are paid for you are forgiven and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to your account so there's no way to lose your salvation unless you can un you can find a way for Christ not to have paid for my sins and you can remove his imputed righteousness if you can't do those two things, then I am saved forever because, well, all my sins are paid for and I'm declared to be perfectly righteous because Christ's righteousness is imputed to my account. Right? You'd have to basically, you'd have to change the work of Christ. You would have to I basically go to heaven and pull Christ away from the right hand of the Father and say all of your work was useless and meaningless and you didn't accomplish anything. I mean, that's basically what you would have to do. So we, ba- we typically say, you are saved forever. We say that, but I think then we contradict ourselves. And let me explain in a minute. So there's the first question. How long are you saved? Now, here is the second question. I want you to really think about this one. How bad of sin... May not be grammatically correct, but I'm stating it this way for a reason. How bad of a sin or how bad of sins can you commit as a saved person? How egregious, how how grievous of sin can you commit as a Christian? Can you only commit one really bad sin? Can you commit 10 really bad sins? Can you commit 30 really bad sins. How many bad sins can you commit? And who gets to determine how bad the sin is, right? Is it a bad sin to not love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul? Is that a really bad sin or is that because I think we're kind of perpetually in that sin, right? Be ye holy as God is holy. Is that a bad sin? Like how, how bad of sin can you commit as a Christian? I want you to really think about that. How bad? How bad of sin can you commit and be a Christian? How bad? Because this is where the issue always becomes very controversial, right? Because, oh, wait, 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 wait. As soon as you commit a sin that is too bad, right? No, Nobody really ever gives you the list, right? When you become saved, they don't call you in and say, hey, congratulations, you are saved. And you are saved for eternity. However, You didn't read the fine print. If you commit this sin or this sin or this sin or this sin, then you were never saved. If you commit if you commit this sin ten times, you were never saved. If you commit this sin twenty times, you were never saved. Now you say no, 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 no. That's not what we believe. No, yes, that is what Christians believe. People who believe that you are saved for eternity will then immediately call your salvation into question if you commit a bad sin. But how many bad sins? Is it one really, really, really bad sin? Like, how many? Nobody can really tell you. But let me tell you, Christians are very fast. In fact, they are the first to show up to throw other Christians under the proverbial bus. And forget throwing them under, we throw them off the bus and then we run them over. How does it work? Well, someone claims to be a Christian and they do something really, really bad and it makes Christianity look bad. We immediately say, well, they were probably never saved. Wait, we just immediately throw them off the bus, run them over with the bus, and then we just leave them broken and bloodied on the ground as we drive on because, hey, no, 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 that's, no, 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 that's not Christianity. They're not really saved. So how long is a person saved? And we really need to ask this question, how bad of sin can someone commit as a Christian? There's got to be a limit because over and over and over you will hear Christians say, well, that person was never saved. No, that person, obviously that person, that person's a fake Christian. That person is a professor, not a possessor. Immediately, Christians are constantly judging and throwing people out of the family of God based off some criteria that I still don't know exactly what it is. Did you hear about so-and-so? Well, obviously they were never truly saved. Well, uh, uh, wait, wait, they were, how do you know that? Well, because they committed that. So, so if I commit, well, why, why, why wouldn't you just say they lose their salvation? Well, no, 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 you can't lose it. You just can be shown, you can just be proven to have never gotten it. So if someone has, has professed to be saved for 10 years and then everyone's like, oh, you're, they're saved, they're saved. They call them brother. They, they take, you know, they partake of the Lord's Supper. They're teaching. They're a deacon. Oh, oh, sorry. After 10 years, you committed too many bad sins. You're now no longer a Christian. When, when, when does that happen? When does the, when do you get that, uh, you know, warning sign on your, you know, do you get an app on your phone? You know, beep, 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 beep. And that it sounds like you're backing up. Okay, but alarm, alarm, alarm. We are sorry to inform you, you are no longer a Christian. I mean, you were never a Christian. I, I know you've been thinking you're a Christian, but now you have committed the bad sin. You've committed, or you've committed the bad sin too many times. I mean, the first six times we thought you were still a Christian, but now you've committed it the seventh time. You're no longer in the family of God. I think, I think this is a reasonable question. I'm not trying to create a straw man here. I'm trying to create a reasonable question because I've just watched it happen a million times in my Christian life. Well, well, that, they're probably not safe. They wouldn't, of course they're not safe. Well, obviously a real Christian would never do that. How many times have you heard people in the church say that? A real Christian would never, a real Christian would never do what? Like, who gets to determine what a real Christian will or will not do? because therefore you must have a criteria that says once you commit this sin so a real christian can do these sins but a real christian cannot commit that sin or that those sins which how bad of sin can you commit and still be a christian or considered a christian now the reason the reason I'm asking this question is because, if I can find it, I received an email three days ago, three days ago, and it was a link to an article by Dan Foster from Medium.com. Now, I subscribe to Medium.com and pay the money to try to support those who write uh, on Medium. I don't always agree with the perspectives and the uh, on, on medium.com, but I just like the fact that here's, you know, people writing these articles and I, I like to be challenged from the different perspectives. Dan Foster, we, uh, we used an article from him this more, I think this morning or this afternoon, uh, where we talked about the Bible being banned in certain states right now. And so I don't always agree with him, but this was the story and he wrote this three days ago. All right. Here we go. When Christians, throw their own on the scrap heap. Now I use the the image of being thrown under the bus. They he uses the idea of the scrap heap. Hey, it's just scrap. Um Okay, all right, uh, someone just asked a question and or, or made a statement. Um and what if they don't think a particular thing is not a sin, especially when culture is considered, right? So like so not only is a person you know like can a person not consider something a sin and you're like, "Whoa, whoa wait, wait a minute. You have to think that's a sin if you're a Christian. What if they're wrong? What what if they don't think something is a sin at the time?" Like because I I I'll, I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Okay, so uh, when I I was, I had been a Christian, when I became a Christian at the, it was kind of like a revival service at a Southern Baptist church in uh, Tuscola, Texas. First Baptist church, Tuscola, Texas. The church is still there. That, like after my conversion... There was, I don't know what you would want to call it, but it was a, it was a, a, like a, a major change started happening in the church and all of these young people started coming to the church and there was almost a sense of revival, right? And so one night after a service, um, I, so where, where the church is, you basically go down a block, you take a right, there's a traffic light, and right there to the left of the traffic light was is an alsops now if you've never been to Texas you may not know what an alsos is an alsops is like a gas station slash convenience store and the, the they're famous for their burritos that they sell. I love an alsops burrito an alsosps burrito, the alsos nacho cheese chips, and a big red that's living right there ladies and gentlemen okay so so it's not far from the church well some of the young people who are relatively have you know new converts, you know, brand new Christians, you know, they're excited about God. They decided to leave the church and go stand in the Allsup's parking lot in the small town of Tuscola, Texas, to try to witness to people who were coming to alsops to get drinks or whatever, because that's where the teenagers all came. It was the big hangout in in, in Tuscola. There was nothing else in Tuscola but alsops There was nothing else really there. So, uh, but they were there and they're handing out tracts trying to witness to people But they were both I think they were both smoking weed at the time while they're handing out tracks. I'm laughing at it. I'm not saying it's funny, but it's just they were so zealous for the things of God, but they had they were like, hey, we love God, but we're we're smoking weed while we hand out tracks. And of course marijuana was illegal at that time, obviously. And so I mean they were literally breaking the law where they're trying to witness to people. Now you could say, well, they didn't know, so okay, but well so but if they did know but still didn't agree with it. Could they still be a Christian? Or like how, how, how messed up? I mean, this just raises all kinds of questions about salvation because we're always trying to determine who's in and who's out. And we're always trying to throw people out, especially if it makes us look bad, right? It's, so that's the, the premise of this article. When Christians throw their uh, when they throw their own on the scrap heap heap, and then they say this, the church ain't no place for sinners, and then underneath that, they have like a um, a dust uh, a dustpan right that you sweep things up like you're sweeping the floor and you got the dustpan you sweep everything in. So they have a yellow dustpan, and then they have all these it's um, little pieces of paper that uh that are white with black lettering on it that says sin sin so it's uh it's they're sweeping up sin all right they're sweeping up sin okay <laughs> yeah all right I, i'm laughing at some a comment someone made on spreaker all right so they're sweeping up sin and here's here's the article here we go you ready here we go in a recent blog post i wrote about an unsettling incident where a group of christians defaced a sacred first nation site by engraving the words jesus saves across an ancient rock formation with a power tool you can read the original article here so here's a group of christians They go to First Nations, a sacred site, right? Uh, It's an ancient rock formation, and they take a power tool and engrave the words, Jesus saves, across it. Now, obviously, I think that's horrific. I think that's horrible. I think that's wrong. That makes Christians look bad, right? That makes us look absolutely insane. So, hang on. So, let's read the next paragraph understandably, there was a good deal of anger expressed in the comments that followed. However, one of my readers took a somewhat different tack. Their comment caught my attention because, well, it captured a glaring problem with modern Christianity. In fact, it put the problem up in neon lights. The commenter in question is a regular of mine and usually very strongly defends Christianity. They often call my beliefs heretical, try to school me on biblical theology, and show me the error of my ways. However, on this occasion, my commenter did not defend Christianity. Or his Christian brethren. Instead, he rather suddenly disowned these vandals as unworthy of being called Christians. Take a look at the comment for yourself. The timestamp on it is two days ago. And here's how they responded. They are not Christians. They are evil Calling them Christian terrorists is just another excuse to blaspheme Jesus. We need not call it, we need to call it for what it is. Not related, the God's way exampled by Jesus. So immediately this person is like, no, 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 those aren't Christians. Held, no, 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 don't call them Christian terrorists. Don't call them, no, 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 no. They're not Christians. And we, and this has been a typical tact within the Christian world forever. Somebody does something horrible. A youth pastor is found guilty of sexually assaulting a child. They're not a Christian. A pastor is found guilty of some horrific sexual sin. They are not saved. We, we, that's our go-to thing, right? If, if someone from a different religion is found guilty of sexually assaulting a child, we're like, well, false religion. That's what you get. If, 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 if someone who was a part of a drag show a, a, a sexually assaulted a child, you see, they're perverts. See, that's perversion. Anyone in the church does it, <laughs> they're not saved. They're not saved because saved people would never do that. See, we have a line where we say save people would never can save people look at pornography when i say can they can they do that and you still call them a christian well it depends uh, can, okay maybe they don't they maybe they stop looking at pornography but what if in their minds they constantly are lusting are they still a Christian? Are, were they ever a Christian? Well, it depends. Like, where do you draw the line? See, in this case, this person was like they typically defend Christianity. But wait, wait, wait! This, this is going to make Christians look like a bunch of crazy people who just defaced a sacred monument, and they're basically terrorists. This is horrible. They used a power tool that, to deface a, a you know a sacred site. I mean, this is horrible. No, 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 no. That. They're not, they immediately disavow, throw them under the bus. Boom, gone, done. Now, I am not saying this in a judgmental way because I want to make it very clear. I did the same thing a good portion of my Christian life. I'd hear something. Well, clearly they're not. I mean, not not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian. So clearly they're not saved. Like I like I had some like you know supernatural insight. Well, they're not saved. 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 And then finally I started realizing. It took me a long time before I realized. Well, wait a minute. What makes them not saved? Because if I look at God's standard, what the law of God demands, it demands. Perfect, perfect, personal, exact, entire, internal, external, perpetual obedience that is perfect. God's law demands a perfect, personal, exact, entire, internal, external, perpetual obedience. I've never come close to that. So if I'm going to start saying they're not saved, then why do I say that I'm saved? Because I do better than them? Do better because I don't commit that sin? But what about all the sins I do commit? And then I can sit there and say, well, I do good because I don't commit these sins and action, but internally— I may be thinking it, desiring it, wanting it, imagining it. Well, oh, wait a minute. Then am I any better? And that's when my, that's when a lot of my views started changing a little bit. Going, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I'm, I can't continue to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not near as righteous as I think that I am. So when when do we have the right to say, oh, whoa, 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 you made us look bad. Get out. You made us look bad. You're not a Christian. This article continues. He just put first one word, ouch, with an exclamation mark. This led me to ponder something that I've noticed about the way that Christians treat other Christians who fail. It's never pretty when a sinner falls into the hands of another sinner. I think it's true. I think the most dangerous place to fall is it's, you know, Jonathan Edwards uh, I think uh he preached the famous sermon, uh, you know, the, uh, the the basically how dangerous it is to fall to, you know sinners in the hands of an angry God. How th- there's nothing more fe- fearful than falling into the hands of an angry God. I I think it's more fearful to fall into the hands of fellow Christians when you commit a sin because at least in the hands of that angry God there is mercy and their salvation in Jesus Christ. Christians will forget mercy, forgiveness, and restoration and help. They'll bring gossip, slander, and rocks. Oh, and they may bring in a hammer, nails, and a cross is what they may bring in. Let me read this. This led me to ponder something that I've noticed about the way that Christians treat other Christians who fail. It's never pretty when a sinner falls into the hands of another sinner. There's a reoccurring pattern of scapegoating within Christianity and of rejecting imperfection and a faith that claims to embrace all. Oh, the art of selective disowning where Christians masterfully shuffle those who tarnish their faith off to the scrap heap. It's fascinating how swiftly the commenter tosses these vandals aside, refusing to acknowledge them as fellow Christians. After all, who needs to grapple with the uncomfortable notion that Christians are capable of heinous acts in Jesus' name? Are, Are Christians capable of heinous acts? Are they? Because some like, no, 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 no. You cannot commit an heinous act as a Christian. You're just not a Christian. Because it's uncomfortable to think that there could be Christians out there who committed heinous acts. I- I've told the story. It haunts me to this very day. It was going to haunt me until I'm dead. Thank- the night before Thanksgiving, I think my daughter's in the kitchen. She opens up a drawer, Right? She opens up. Someone just said, I'm capable. I'm I'm more than capable. And even if I'm not, even if I don't commit the act, the heinous act externally, I've committed some horrible acts internally. Like, you don't even want to go there. Okay. But so it's th- the night before Thanksgiving. My daughter's opening the drawers looking for something. And she's like, hey, there's this letter. And I'm like, letter from what? From the Taylor County Jail. What? So we open the letter. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? It's a letter from this person who I used uh, – I the, they had a good friend. She was a member of the praise and worship team uh, uh, at a big kind of charismatic church here in Abilene, Texas. She worked for me. Um, and we, we would have these big theological back and forths because, you know, she's charismatic and obviously I'm not. We'd have these b- big disagreements. And he's some, and he worked, I think, for the church at one point. Um, and he, he was kind of moving away from charismatic theology. He was becoming more and more reformed because I think his, his father was sick. And I think the church made some prophecy that his father was going to be healed. And of course his father died. So he was moving away from it. He was starting to read like Grudem systematic theology and he was getting more into theology, starting to read some of the reformers and kind of, I know Grudem would kind of help support some of his charismatic ideas, but you get the idea. He was moving away. He was moving away from it. So we talked, I think once or twice on the phone one time. Oh we went to the movies uh I don't even remember what we we it was about I don't remember what it was called it was some kind of movie dealing with like exorcism or something uh she was there, he was there, and uh we watched the movie, so I got to talk to him in person and then we we talked a little bit on social media back then, and you know I got to know him, and you know we we were i won't say we were friends, but I definitely knew him, I knew he was you know his uh he was he would post each year the schedule of books he were going to read, and there were always like these big theology books and I mean he was reading his Bible, listening to sermons, you know like. Really, like sometimes even convicting me and how much time he spent focusing on the things of God. So I get a letter from the Taylor County Jail, open it, and it's from him. And I'm like, what happened? Well, he had been found guilty, obviously went to jail for the sexual abuse of a child. I don't know of what age. And it was like, I was horrified, like what had happened? And then I'll never forget he was like, everyone has turned their back on me. Everyone. No one. No one. No one. Everyone's turned their back on me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. All the Christians were like, that's it. He he obviously was never saved. And so I was like, oh. OK, I've got I've got to get there. So the very next morning, I woke up, went straight to the county jail, couldn't find a way to get in. I, I called, kept trying to call a number. And uh, and they were like, well, there's no one to sign anyone in on Thanksgiving. Like, you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And then I found, let's say, who's the inmate? And they're like, oh, that person's not here anymore. So I go back and look at the letter and the letter came in like August. How we missed it, I don't know. And to this day, I've never been able to find the person, have no idea where they are, but I feel horrible because he probably felt like I abandoned him as well. To this day, I'm broken by it. But all the Christians just said, peace out. Now, I obviously do not understand that sin. I do not understand it. It's a crime. Obviously, it can't, it has to be paid for legally, but I can't understand that sin. But you know what? Can a Christian commit that sin? Or do we immediately disavow them? Because, oh, that's heinous. It is heinous. Do we immediately disavow them? Are Christians capable of heinous acts in the name of Jesus? It's much easier to conveniently disavow their association and protect the pristine image of the faith, isn't it? Isn't it better to just throw them out? Isn't it better to just throw anyone out who's ever done anything? But Just throw them out. Isn't it better? It is a great irony. This is the article goes on to say that the church preaches a message that says, come to God as you are and receive full acceptance while at the same time promoting a performance-based religious system with obvious boundary markers about what is and is not acceptable behavior. How many of the sermons you hear in your average church and your average church are simply a message of condemnation? You're doing it wrong. Get better. Do better. Do this more. Do this less. And so on and so on. Christianity is supposed to be a life transforming faith, but it has been reduced to a sin management program in many churches where there are very clear guidelines about what a good Christian is and does. And a church, if you want to belong, you have to behave, or else when you make a mistake, goodbye. You're finished. You're done. We're throwing you on the trash heap. You should not speak again, do anything again. You are finished. Within large sections of Christianity, when someone falls or commit a horrible sin, the first thought isn't medic. We need a medic. We need a medic. Where well, we can run in with our spiritual medical kit and try to stop the bleeding. You know, patch up the wound, add stitches, give them medicine, give them a shot to stop the infection. We, we don't run it. No, no, no. We don't scream medic. We scream, you're never saved. You were never saved. You can never do anything ever again. Go away and just die. Now, we won't say it that way, of course, because, you know, we're good Christians. But that's basically what happens. Oh, you better stand up in front of everyone and apologize. We're going to publicly shame you, publicly humiliate you. It's not medic, run, cover, protect, restore, heal. Why do we want to throw, supposedly, our brothers and sisters under the bus, run them over, back up over them three times, and then drive off? Now, someone just asked, how does church discipline fit in? Oh, oh, I look, I understand the Bible calls for church discipline. I'm not in any way ignoring. Obviously, church discipline comes into play when the person is just absolutely like, I don't care. I'm not listening to you. I'm not repenting. I'm not, I'm going to continue to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Just full blown outward rebellion. They just don't care. They're just basically telling you, "Drop dead, I don't care about your Bible, I don't care about Jesus, I don't care about God." Well, then at that point, you may be forced, but it would be the like the absolutely last thing you, you would want to do everything in your power to avoid it. Then you would exercise church discipline, but that would be like you would do everything in your power. That would just be someone who basically is like, "I don't care." not someone who's like I've th- just because they've sinned your first thought is to go in to to restore to help to love to to not call into question their salvation but to go and try to and then if if they're like get away from me draw I don't care I don't care about anything leave me alone I, I don't care I don't even I don't care about anything well then okay. Maybe, but that would be the last, 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 last thing. You would do everything in your power to avoid it, not run to it. They go on to say this. Let's take a moment and marvel at the ideal Christian, shall we? A paragon of virtue. They embody flawless piety, unwavering faith, and an impeccable moral compass. They would never dare to deface a sacred site or commit acts of contrary to the teachings of Jesus. No, no. They are the epitome of righteousness and holiness, donning halos while the rest of us mere mortals stumble along wrestling with our imperfections. My commenter assumes that these vandals couldn't possibly be Christians because good Christians would never behave in this way. Of course I'm vexed by the suggestion that a non-believer would carve the words Jesus saves into our rock face. I mean, why? I mean, that it that would be kind of funny, all right? The church, that bastion of purity and righteousness, has an uncanny ability to create an environment that is actually unsafe for sinners. As if they forgot that Jesus himself attracted the wounded, the broken, and the lost, But alas, the church has become a fortress of self-righteousness where walls are erected, standards are set impossibly high, and sinners are kept at arm's length because, you know, Jesus clearly loves building walls. Wait, no, that was someone else entirely. Rather than confront the possibility of sin in their ranks, my commenter simply tossed them aside. Do you see how quickly and easily they do it? It's quite Frightening, really. Now, the article offers some more thoughts. You can go find the article on medium.com. Look up Dan Foster and look for the article when Christians throw their own on the scrap heap. Christianity does have a long history of doing this. And, and the reason it happens, I want to make sure you understand It happens because of a soteriology. A soteriology that says if someone is truly saved, then they will do this, 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 and they will not do this, 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 this. Even though they say you're saved by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone, all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 no. If you don't do this and this and this and this, and if you do this and this and this, you're not saved. Making it a works-based system. Even saying, no, 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 no. I'm not saying you're saved by your works. I'm saying if you don't have the works, you prove you were never saved. Meaning if I don't have the works, then I'm not saved. Meaning I have to have the works. All right. The point is, Even those standards that people give, if they're even remotely honest with the standards they give, you can look up John MacArthur's test, Jonathan Edwards' test, anyone who gives the test, you look at the test to see if you're truly saved, anyone who's even like remotely honest would be like, I fell that. Well, I flunked that test. I flunked that test. I flunked that test. I flunked that test. And I say this all the time, that theology will create the need for self-righteousness. It will will create the need to pretend that you're more righteous than you really are. And it will demand that anyone who doesn't meet the standard can't be a Christian because that would call into question their entire, their entire theology, their entire soteriology. Someone uh, just posted this. If I'm supposed to be, if I'm supposed to forgive someone who sins against me, 70 times 7, then how much more should I uh, be able to forgive someone whose sin isn't against me? Not saying I do this perfectly, but just a thought. Well, it's true. And if I'm supposed to forgive someone who sins 70 times 7, how many times does God forgive us and the sinner who falls over and over and the sinner who falls into egregious sin? Now, I want to make this very clear. I am not saying the church should cover up illegal activity. I'm not saying if there's sexual assault, something horrible. I'm not saying they cover that up. They have to turn that over to the authorities, and then the authorities have to carry out the legal investigation, and then the person has to pay for their crime. I'm not talking about covering up crime. Now, I do believe you hand it over to the authorities and then you keep your mouth shut. You don't have to go tell the whole world. And then you do, but you don't throw the person under the bus. You still try to minister to them and you still try to love them. It just may be behind bars. You still demonstrate mercy. You you don't immediately say, well, they can't be saved. So I'm not saying cover up crime. But any other situation, instead of running out there to gossip, slander and condemn, how about we run with a medical kit? again, I always just picture it as battlefield medicine. When someone goes down, you scream medic, and then the medic comes running out there on the front lines to do what they can to bandage them up, to stop the bleeding, to do whatever is necessary to get them back to the first echelon of medical care, where you can then try to do, you know, do a little bit more, you know, medical procedures to try to, you know, stop. To to stabilize them, and then you try to air them out to another echelon of medical care. Where then you and then you go to the next and next. As someone who is in, in the medical world and the military, that's the way it works. Battlefield medicine. You're doing everything you can to just try to preserve life as much as possible. Then you get them a little further back. You try to do more, uh, a, a greater level of medical care, and then if necessary, then you even get them further back. To, you know, completely away from the battlefield and maybe even in another, you know, kind of like not even near the front lines, what you can do maybe then full-blown, you know, surgical procedures. And and in many cases, you know, they may not even be coming back to the battlefield. That, that may be the end of their military career. Who knows? It just depends. But I, I just think of it the same way spiritually. Oh man, that person, whoa, they just, they are wounded horribly. Then we come running in and we cover up. We cover up and we help and we restore and we love. We don't go, oh, guys, guys, guys. No, 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 Don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look, don't look. That's not a Christian. That's not a Christian. That's not a, no, 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 not no way they can be saved and do that. No way. There's just no way. We don't do that. If the person is a Christian, all of their sins have been forgiven. Past, present, future. Right? Jesus died for them all. They're covered in the imputed righteousness. They may be laying there broken, bloodied. Maybe the leg is pointing the wrong direction and they're they're bleeding out, but they are covered in the perfect righteousness of Christ. I see, I, I don't ignore the sin, but I remember of what they are in Christ. And then we're like, okay, we've got a problem here. We've got to, we got to try to patch you up and put you back together. Now, I wish it was always that simple because we do know those fall into great sin. And then you try to help and they're like, leave me alone. I'm going to do what I want. Just back off. You can't tell me what to do. And that's always sad when that happens. And all you can pray is that at some point they will realize, man, what have I done with my life? What have I done? You say, well, when do you determine they're not saved? I don't ever make that determination. Who am I to make that determination? As long as they claim to be a Christian, I'm going to treat them as a Christian and tell them, hey, this is a sin. You need, you need to turn from that sin. Jesus Christ loves you and he died for you and you and this is wrong. Here's the scriptures that says that it's wrong. Now, if they decide to renounce Christianity completely, okay, then I may not treat them as a Christian, obviously. But I think we we get this so wrong. When people fall, they don't need stones, slander. They don't need condemnation. They don't need to be crucified. They need medicine. They need the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They need love. They need protection. Love covers a multitude of sins. They need medicine. They need the medic to come there to try to put them back together. Those of us who are spiritual restore such a one who's overtaken in a fault. We, over, we restore those people who've basically been ripped apart by sin. You know, what Christians want to do is even those who try to restore, they're always like, we, you can be restored. And then we immediately come in with, but, however, here are the 17 consequences. Who are you to give the consequences? Where did, did you create the list of consequences? No, you don't do that. You, you bring to re- restoration and, he, and you begin to just try to help them back. I believe... That the church in so many ways have lost the true gospel. We are now, the church in, in America has become so much a law based, performance based morality system that is so law focused that the gospel. Has almost been abandoned in any meaningful way. We still pay lip service to the gospel. We still talk gospel, but in every practical way, it's law, it's morality, it's, it's works. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com news if at yahoo.com for anyone who has fallen into sin you've destroyed your life maybe your family you've brought shame to the name of christ and you've brought shame to others remember the blood of jesus christ can wash away all sin there is hope and forgiveness in christ don't worry about what other christians say about you don't matter if they've even abandoned you Run to Christ for forgiveness. Confess your sin, accept the free forgiveness that flows from the sacrifice of Christ. Remember that in Christ you are perfect, holy, and righteous, no matter how imperfect you are in practice. Find hope in the forgiveness that comes from Christ. Do not excuse your sin, do not cover up your sin. Acknowledge it. But don't run from God, run to God. No matter what Christians have said about you, abandon you, or have thrown you under the bus, because they don't speak for the gospel. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. God bless.